Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rubottom here with us. Eric, how you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. We are inching closer to the end of the season, which is, uh, I think, going in the right direction. At least That's something's right. going in the right direction. Yeah. Baseball season and, and co-Big 12 pitcher of the year, Jordan Wicks, right? I'm That's right. To, That's to see right. him. Yeah, Kansas State does have, well, the game Tuesday against Kansas. I don't know if we'll have this podcast out before then or not. But also, Kansas State plays Texas Tech on Saturday. And so we brought on Emery Light of Viva the Matadors. Emery, how you doing? Doing well. Happy to be on here. I know you guys had a pretty rough season, to put it lightly, but I'm excited <laughs> to kind of talk some more hoops and just kind of get going. Obviously, Tech has a big game this week against Oklahoma and obviously the weekend game against K-State, but just going through the basketball season, it's been a lot of fun covering this team. Yeah, and I remember we had you on in football and, you know, you- not to say you didn't know your football stuff, but you told us that come basketball season, you would be even more knowledgeable. So looking forward to that. You know, No pressure. <laughs> Not at all. It's definitely, I mean, my kind of forte is more on the basketball side. And honestly, this team is quite a bit better than Tech's football team is, which makes it a lot more <laughs> exciting and interesting to cover. So Certainly makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I do not envy uh, the other guy named Luke for our blog has been the one writing most of our recaps this year. And that just doesn't seem like a f- so. He's putting in yeoman's work this year. Like there, there <laughs> yeah. are so many games we've had this year that, uh, you know, most of our listeners probably remember me writing recaps and that sort of things. And <laughs> man, I put a lot of effort into it. And I can, I guarantee you the effort would not be here this year if I was writing yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, and so actually, with the with the Texas Tech game coming up, we're gonna take a chance to to do a little bit of something different, where you know, obviously, Kansas State and Texas Tech shared the Big Twelve title in 2019, very importantly, ending the Kansas streak, and so we're gonna kind of talk about where the two teams have gone since then. Obviously, their paths have diverged pretty significantly. I guess first, though, Emory, I do want to ask you a little bit about this Texas Tech team. And that mix between seems like two through six is, is all really close in the Big 12. You know, where where do you see them ending up right now? I tend to think that Tech is a lot closer to the second to third type of team in the Big 12 than the fifth to six. And the record might not, not necessarily show that. I mean, certainly you look at a lot of advanced analytics and they would show Tech is somewhere around 10th to 15th in the nation, depending on what site you look at. And I mean, they've played just about every team close. I mean, even Baylor was a close game until the final minute. Uh, you had the big win against Texas on the road, a win at Oklahoma, which is always nice. I think the big thing for Tech is they had a lot of newcomers this year, guys like Mac McClung, Marcus Santos Silva, Micah Peavy, even someone like Chibuzo Agbo has been getting a little bit more minutes. And those are guys that, like, you have to expect that they're going to be sort of continuing to grow as a team and gel as a team. And so early on in the year, maybe the offense struggled a little bit more. But as they've come on, I mean, right now they've been in close games just about every time. And really the team seems like a pretty well-oiled machine. I mean, you have some questionable defensive moments, and certainly sometimes the offense can be a little bit frustrating. But I see Tech being able to be in that hunt for second place in the Big 12, and I'm not sure – how it's going to end up because obviously you have some variants there. You have some teams like Texas and Oklahoma that have had COVID issues. Then maybe that kind of changes the race a little bit. But 
I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how the battle goes. And I would certainly, I'd be willing to bet the Tech is going to end up as a top four team in the Big 12 as of now. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, you, you mentioned Mac McClellan. I, I did want to ask you, um, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that has never seen a shot. He didn't like 12 in field goal attempts by a fairly wide margin, I think. But he's also, you know, leading the conference in scoring, in conference play at least. So, I mean, a lot of those are going in. What's it like to, to watch a guy like that and have him on your team? I'll be honest, it's a bit of a mental adjustment for me because I always look at – I looked at McClung before he got to Tech as someone a bit of a shot chucker and generally very isocentric. And that's not to say that he isn't necessarily. I mean, he's certainly a high-volume guy. He's going to take a lot of shots every game. And there's an extent, though, where you have to look at it like if it's working – and McClung's able to make those shots, then you let him have that because he's a very confident player. I would never say anything bad about Mac McClung's confidence. And beyond that, like he gets played off as maybe being a little bit selfish at times, but I think that's more so just he's an extremely confident, competitive player. He takes a ton of shots. And, I mean, yeah, the offense this year has been very kind of unconventional, in the sense that in conference, we don't have a single rotation player with an assist rate above 11.5%. So you've got really no ball movement outside of initial possessions that aren't necessarily generating looks. You have various halves where you go in and you have less than five assists, but you put up 45 points because guys like Mac McClung are putting up 15, 20 points on the half. And it's like, just let them cook, I guess. So it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, you just let it happen and keep a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on Saturday. Yeah. See what he does. But all right, let's let's talk about. Um, unless you have anything to add, Eric, to that discussion, anything you're looking for Saturday. I don't know. On Saturday, not really. <laughs> I, uh, to yeah. be honest, I don't know what to look for at this point. It's interesting watching Mac Mac McClung because he he does come across as one of those players that Matt, you're just you're just riding that horse, man. Like where, wherever that dude takes you is where that team's going. They certainly have some some other players, but you know I think the point of the the conversation that we're having here is just seeing all of the new faces that keep showing up, especially over the last two years at each program and how one program not named Kansas state seems to be able to still find success given that, given that. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's real quick, I guess, quick, quick update for anybody that, that hasn't heard yet. Um, the news broke today. We reminded that Duan Gordon is going to be out for a few games. I think we knew that kind of already, but you know, just, because this season wasn't bad enough already. Uh, well, and it's it's Kansas long. State. It's Kansas State basketball, and it's someone hurting their foot, which is you yeah, know, exactly. Water it's is normally wet. a big guy, though. You know, <laughs> it is normally a big guy. You're absolutely right. But like I said, water is wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like you were saying with the new guys, and, and that of course started because of all the guys that left after that 2018-2019 season. Actually, these two teams, I mean, are pretty similar. They were number one and number three in defense in the country. Obviously, that was the big thing. Those kinball numbers, Tech was number one, by the way. But then you had, I mean, K-State obviously had the three seniors, Brown, Wade, and Stokes. Texas Tech had a couple seniors, Matt Moody and Tariq Owens. And they had Derek Culver, who effectively became a senior because he left for the NBA draft. You know, that there weren't 
a lot of younger guys. Well, I guess both teams had one younger guy playing a big role. Texas Tech had Moretti, David Moretti. Kansas State has Xavier Sneed. But, I mean, like you said, those, those teams are pretty similar. They, you know, tied for first in the Big 12. Both lost in Kansas City actually didn't do as well. But then the NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament was really where they started kind of diverging. And, you know, it's worth noting, of course, Dean Wade was injured. Who knows what would happen with him. And But K-State lost the first round. Texas Tech went to the national championship game. Emory, I guess let's start there. I mean, how much do you think that affected, you know, Tech's ability to, to bring in some of the big-name guys they've had through the transfers and, and also recruiting? Yeah, I mean, I think the national championship game, I mean, it certainly boosted – the level of talent Tech was able to bring in. I mean, I look at someone like Mac McClung or Namari Burnett, even though he left the program, are guys that Tech really had no shot at getting before the national championship game. And you've kind of seen it starting around the elite eight year in 2018, which I know you guys talking about parallels between the program had as well. But really, I mean, it took off after that year. You had Namari Burnett came in this past year. Micah Peavy's another one that was a, high four-star, low five-star type of guy. The year before that, you had guys like Jemiah, Stramsey, Terrence Shannon coming in. And those are players that you wouldn't be getting at Texas Tech when Chris right. Beard came in. And, and it's worth noting, even... I mean, Derek Culver, even though he left early, he was not a big-time recruit, was he? No, he was yeah. really the lowest in that class. I believe he was a <laughs> low three-star. And, I mean, beyond that, I mean, obviously you had Culver, which kind of knocked on the point of being able to develop and bring in NBA-level talent, but also the grad transfers from that year. You had Matt Mooney and Tariq Owens really kind of unlocked a pipeline that Tech has been using ever since. I mean, last season they brought in Chris Clark and TJ Holyfield, and there's been debates on how effective those guys were. And then this year you had Marcus Santos-Silva, Jamarius Burton, and then, obviously, you had McClung, who wasn't a grad transfer, but essentially turned into one. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, not only did Tech really boost the level of talent they were getting, but they also just were able to convince guys to continue following what Chris Beard was bringing in. I mean, nowadays, you come in an offseason, you expect quite a bit of roster turnover, but you also expect to get those high-level grad transfers. And I really think that that national championship run showing what Beard could do with guys like Tariq Owens and guys like Matt Mooney played a big part in being able to bring in grad transfers. And then obviously the recruiting will improve as well as a result of going to the national championship game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, you mentioned Ramsey. Did Tech have a commit from him before they made the national championship or what was his recruiting timeline like? So, Tech had already had Ramsey committed after the Elite Eight team, which is why I kind of said, sort of, you saw the okay. start of it. But with that said, I mean, yeah. you certainly had some guys that joined within that, in that kind of frame after the national championship game. So Clarence Nadolny is an example mm-hmm. of someone on this team that committed afterwards with high-level Power Five offers. I can't exactly remember where. And then obviously you had the grad transfers. And then this past recruiting cycle, PV was someone that recruit that committed after that championship run, as did Namari Burnett. And so you saw, I mean, obviously you're going to see it with a program that had continued to be on the rise even before that championship run. It was kind of an upward trend. I mean, at one point we brought in Kavon Moore, who was the 
highest rated recruit in Texas Tech history when he was recruited, only played two minutes at Tech because of a leg injury. And nowadays, people look back on Kevon Moore, and it's like, is he even a top five recruit under Beard? And so, I mean, it's just, in general, Ramsey, to answer your question, Ramsey was committed before the championship run, but it certainly helped solidify his commitment around off right. the 2019 class. Yeah. And then, so Eric, on the flip side of that, you know, you can't say that, that Bruce didn't take advantage of the, the kissings they had, because obviously, I mean, this year's recruiting class was, I think, the best that he's had ratings-wise. But at the same time, you know, it's not quite really at the level the tech is getting. And, you know, you, you wonder if they hadn't it have been even better. Yeah, I mean, the, the recruiting class that we had for coming into this year, I don't think anybody would question actually has some talent on it. Certainly not full of five stars or anything like that. But, I mean, we've seen some of that come to realization with uh, Nigel Pack. He's, uh, right. frankly, the best basketball player on the team. And, uh, you know, Davian Bradford has shown that he's got some work to do, but there's a lot to do, there, there's a lot to work with there. So, I mean, the recruits that we have coming in are – uh, at least for this season, was a solid recruiting class when we're talking about bringing in freshmen. You know, I'm just looking up and down the list that you created here for us, Luke. And the thing that jumps out at me, and I think we've talked about it over and over again this particular this particular season with these new freshmen and everything like that, is the environment that they're coming into. You know, even with the turnover that Chris, that Chris Beard and Texas Tech is getting, with all of the new old faces out, new faces in, like year after year after year, it seems like, He's always bringing in several like impact juniors, seniors, grad transfers, that sort of thing that creates a level of environment with leadership on the floor and that sort of thing that those younger players can actually then grow in. Whereas this year, you know, for K-State, we have these freshmen coming in and there's no leaders on the floor. Even with the, you know, the quasi, we're trying to find some some leadership and that sort of thing. We didn't get any this year and we saw a lot of a lot of what we hoped would be in place really just fizzle out last year and then end up leaving the program. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about it before. I mean, the 2019-20 team brought back a couple of talented guys and or more than a couple, I guess I'll say three decently talented guys and Xavier Snead, Cartier Jara and McCall Maywin, but just none of them were really that leader that you look for. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Snead, I think Snead was, but okay. Snead wasn't the type yeah. of person that was going to do it on his own. I think yeah. what we also saw was the, uh, frankly, you know, Jada and his head being someplace else pretty much the entire season. I don't know what the, what the deal was there, but, uh, that was pretty obvious by the fact that he transferred at the end of the year. Right. Mac was, Mac's just not that type of player. Mac is, Mac is a, a role big guy. He, he's not a, you know, on the floor team leader, in my opinion. And then you you just keep looking down the list from that 1920 team, junior Levi Stocker, junior James Love. Well, one of them saw the floor for about six minutes in his career, and yeah. and, and the other one just he was the same story as Mac. Just he's not a team, he's not going to be a team leader. He's a role player. He's 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 not the alpha dog. He's the you know he's they're going to take direction from whoever is giving it on the floor. So I mean, not only did we did relate, we really not have the personalities anyways to to gather that, but then just everything up in the air after last year and the transfers out and everything like that just pretty much left this team completely devoid of on floor leadership. Mm-hmm. And so Emory, I'm wondering, you know, the Texas Tech 2019-20 team, and it should be noted, like Tech took a, a pretty significant step back for that season, you know, as you would expect after they lost all the guys from the the runner-up team but they didn't 
go back nearly as far as Kansas State did. You know, how much of that do you think was the the leadership and and who kind of stepped up and filled that role? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, a lot of the discussion of Ole finding a leader on the court for Tech was in some ways similar to what Kansas State, I feel like, had last year. I think the key difference is, in my eyes at least, I saw guys like Davide Moretti and Kyler Edwards took out to me as real kind of, not necessarily like, real fiery guys, but more so lead by example type of players. Mm-hmm. And I think as well as that, like Moretti's someone that I've always looked up to is probably one of the smartest mm-hmm. players you're going to find. And obviously, I mean, tech fans, there was a portion of the fan base that would look at kind of what he did and was like, oh, he underwhelmed last year. And the fact of the matter is, is he was kind of a functionally limited player, very much a spot up guy kind of a little bit of a liability defensively, which is interesting, kind of a rarity for Tech. And then maybe not the best facilitator, but what he brought you was elite level four spacing. And he was someone that almost never kind of went up and down emotionally. He was very kind of emotionally consistent, kind of kept Tech in check a lot of the time. And then you had guys like Kyler, somebody like Chris Clark, TJ Holyfield came in. And those were guys that maybe they all had falls as players. I mean, certainly last year's tech team wasn't the barometer for an elite team, but what they did show was a team that kind of stayed together, continued fighting. And I mean, some of that as well just comes down to the culture that Chris Beard has instilled. I mean, even back in his first year, you had a stretch of games where it was like anything could go wrong, did go wrong. I mean, I remember, I mean, it's obviously been four years ago, but you had games like against Kansas where they lost by one. You had West Virginia, went to double overtime, had some incredible shots, still lost. And then with all that said, you kept on just continuing throughout the season, kept fighting. And I think that sort of culture is something that Beard and Mark Adams have really installed at Tech. And I'm, I mean, I certainly don't necessarily want to say anything bad about Bruce Weber as a coach. I still think, like, I want to put Bruce Weber on the Steve Prom list of guys that like (laughs) you have no level of success with because I do think I mean Weber's 2019 team wasn't a fluke by any means but I do think there is and it was the second big 12 title yeah I mean the fact that he was able to bring a team back where there was a section of years I believe it was 2015 2016 and then (laughs) certain parts for instance of 2017 2018 where I mean Kansas State in general, kind of struggled for large portions of those seasons. And being able to bring it back, bring them back to a Big 12 title contention is something that you can't take away. But I do think there's a cultural difference between the two programs. And while you might have individual players that have talent, it's like when you can't have like a consistent winning culture leadership, it's hard to keep everyone together. I mean, it's not like, like to me, this case state team has a lot of talent or maybe not a lot of talent, but they have talent that would indicate that they're better than say five and 13, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a whole lot of missing pieces or pieces that just don't fit well. Right. Like you've got Nigel Pack who has had a great season so far. I mean, shooting 42% from three, I mean, he can play on and off the ball offensively. And I think that's something that going forward, someone to build around, but you also, you don't have any real leadership necessarily. And that's just the kind of deal where you can have that game to game 
changes in how the team plays. And it's just, I mean, I won't say that it's like a program issue per se, but it is something where you look at Kansas State compared to Texas Tech and almost all of the issues have come from a lack of identity, a lack of leadership. And certainly the guys that came back from that 2019 team like Snead and like Jara just not being able to really write the ship. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it, Texas Tech has been able to, to bring in transfers and kind of, I guess you talk about the program culture and, and I mean, both teams have had guys transfer, but I think the big difference is Kansas State has had some high-impact players transfer. As far as I can tell, the guys who transferred from Tech weren't doing a whole lot. I mean, and I don't know what the stories were on those. Was that just mostly the, the standard playing time? They wanted to go to play, so they wanted to score more, or was there anything more of those? Yeah, so I think you can kind of classify Tech's transfers the last few years into two ways. You can have guys that really had no opportunity and no path to playing, and if anything, we're kind of a little bit of a liability from a scholarship count perspective, as bad as that sounds. And so they kind of almost got nudged out the door. And then you had guys that didn't have the role or the playing time that they necessarily wanted and kind of, in a way, forced their way out midseason. And that's something Joel and Tom Boy, UNLV transfer, we fought really hard to get him eligible last year and couldn't also known as the brother to Jonathan Kumingu is a top 10 prospect in the NBA. So I want to keep an eye on, but then Tom way left after three games after being coming off the bench. I mean, I wouldn't classify as him as someone that's a high impact guy, but he certainly, I mean, he gave tech shooting that we otherwise wouldn't really have from the wings. Certainly not with Terrence Shannon or Kevin McCuller. And then, Amari Burnett was a really interesting case because he's averaging 18 minutes a game and was playing really well defensively, but offensively he was essentially a non-factor. He shot 28% from the field, around 17% from three, and the ball handling wasn't there compared to what Tech was necessarily looking for. And, I mean, certainly there's a whole lot of speculation as to what exactly happened, why you left middle of the week during a Big 12 season where he was in the rotation. (laughs) right after the, the first Kansas State game, ironically enough. But, I mean, rumors have it, something to do either with the fam, with his family or the people that were around him kind of had differing opinions on what they thought he should be doing for the next year. Because he came in as a five-star recruit, someone that you look at as maybe a one-and-done prospect. And as good as his defense was, there's no way you can really justify having someone being a one-and-done when they're shooting the three worse than someone like Andre Roberson. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, you talk about midseason transfers. I mean, you said, hey, Cody Ajada, but he looked like a great team player compared to Sean Williams. Fair. <laughs> that guy checked out. So, and that. Yeah. I, and, I mean, to a certain extent, it, that does also seem to be, you know, an issue that we have had over the last couple of years is just swings and misses on Mm -hmm. on recruiting uh, as well. You know, I I don't have any insight into that at at the end of the day. Coaches are are obviously spending more time looking at players than, than I am. So it's, it's unfortunate to see those kind of swings and misses, but you know, one of the things that just going back to that environment thing and, and kind of, 
I would say projecting onto the rest of uh, on the rest of Weber's career because uh, you know I think Emory mentioned that that you know Weber obviously has success as a coach and has shown that he can do it. And I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think the the bigger one of the bigger issues that we've seen, um, and this goes back into uh, you know his time at Illinois. And uh, if I dove if I dove into it enough, I, you could probably see similar things at uh, Southern Illinois as well. He's got to have four generals. He's got it like I think he's a really good coach if he has players that know what they're doing. But if he has players that are neophytes that are still learning at the learning the game at that level or trying to understand the system or whatever, we can debate whether or not that means the system's too complex some other time. The, the overarching point is that, like, he's not a roll the ball out there and go to town kind of coach. Like, he's, right. he's the type of coach that really needs to to he needs to develop his players so that they know what they're doing, and then they can coach. In essentially in real time on the floor. And we just haven't had that over the last two years. And obviously it's not happening this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've just seen the, the, the tank fest this year. Yeah, well, that, that brings up an interesting comment. I saw somebody posted on the blog that, you know, and obviously we've been able to hear it more this year, but Bruce is just constantly, constantly yelling at the guys. And you kind of wonder like at some point, are they even listening anymore? But and, I mean, it, it's, it's simple shit relate too. To that? It, it, it's yeah. not yelling out plays or it's right. not, you know, it's not the, the, the finer nuances of a matchup zone or that sort of thing. It's like, hey, you need to go take the ball out. Yeah. Really? We have, to, we, we, have to, we have to tell, you know, 19 and 20-year-old college students that have supposedly been playing this game for a while that someone has to go take the ball out and someone else needs to go help them so they can throw it in? I mean yeah. that that's that's where we're at right now with this team. It, it's infuriating because it's we miss so much basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just gonna throw in a commercial real quick. We'll be right back. And so, I mean, the other side of the the transfer equation is guys coming in. And Casey, I think, has brought in a couple. Like Carlton Lingard came from somewhere else. Aziagu, but they haven't been the, the real high impact guys like Texas Tech. You know, and I was wondering, Emery, I mean, do you, do you feel like Chris Beard, you know, wants that to be a, a part of his program, primarily like a, like a Fred Hoiberg type situation where he really made that work? Or, I mean, I know some coaches sort of try to use that more as a crutch early on, and then as they get more established, then they try to scale back and, and bring in more freshmen. Has Chris Beard talked about his philosophy on that at all? Yeah, Beard is very much a guy that focuses on making sure that his team – has some element of seniority every year. And having guys like TJ Holyfield, like Chris Clark this year, like Marco Santos Silva, those are guys that kind of are the staple of each team. And I think it's going to continue on. I think, if anything, Beard has kind of been a pioneer in terms of bringing in grad transfers, specifically to fill mm-hmm. leadership roles. And I think that's something that, like, if you look at years past, say back in 2016 2017 or so when beard was first getting the tech you really didn't see guys on a national level or teams on a national level that were bringing in grad transfer guys to play huge roles for winning teams and this year in particular it seems like there's a lot more transfers that are having huge roles on these winning teams i look at a team like baylor they brought on guys like Macy Oteague in the past couple of years who've had huge roles. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, that's some, 
that's something that Chris Beard really kind of prides himself on is being able to bring in those two to three guys each year that have that experience, that have that ability. And I think, I mean, I certainly think in the back of every Tech fan's mind is the lack of continuity that that can create because, I mean, you look at this roster now and as it stands, Kyler Edwards stands a pretty good chance of being really the only guy that plays all four years for Tech in recent memory because obviously we had you had Moretti that, that ended up leaving to go to Italy a couple years early. You had someone like Jared Culver declare for the draft and you've processed at least six to seven different guys, guys like Russell Shiwa and Andre Savarsov. Those are guys that Tech has brought in and recruited but not necessarily kept and their spots have gone to grad transfers. So I certainly, I don't see a beard changing up that philosophy anytime. Obviously transfers are never going to hit at a rate that is 100%. You're going to have, for every Tariq Owens or Matt Mooney, you're going to have a guy that doesn't necessarily produce at that level. But I do think the element of seniority and being able to have leadership in the locker room each year is something that Beard prides himself on, and I would expect that to continue going forward. Yeah, I was thinking about that uh, as I was going through the list of players and, you know, going back to the comment about just having that seniority, those the juniors and seniors coming in. And the word that came to mind is, and it's really weird, considering that we're talking about an air quotes amateur sport is professionalism. <laughs> like when you bring in seniors, you bring in grad transfers and that sort of, or those sort of players that have been playing at an NCAA level for, you know, three, four years, you're bringing in people that have a level of professionalism and go about how, you know, go about their business playing on a college basketball team with a lot more maturity than, you know, freshmen and sophomores. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on Texans, someone like Mac McClung, for instance, obviously someone that people look back as maybe being a little bit on the more selfish side or less of a team player. But you look at what he's brought in in terms of he fights on every play. I mean, the steal that he had at the NL of the LSU game and just the sheer will to be able to kind of bring that our team back into the game that's something that like a player like Clarence Adonley or like a true freshman Namari Burnett that's something that they might not necessarily have that instinct and will to just take in take into consideration the sort of minute details of the game especially in like pressure situations last year Tech struggled at times with that and even though you brought in those grad transfers it kind of was a little bit of a mitigated impact because Guys like Chris Clark kind of went into the doghouse a little bit. And then on Holyfield's side, he was more so just a role guy. But you see the effects of it now with someone like McClung or Marcus Santos Silva. Those are guys that you can really kind of build a professional culture with. I mean, that 2019 Final Four team, you had Tariq Owens, you had Norin Sodiase, Matt Mooney. All of those guys were about as professional, really just down to earth and got about business and I think it really helped going through March because you had Tech had games that year where they didn't shoot well I mean for one thing they lost to K-State scoring 45 points in January and Tech fans are going crazy thinking it was going to be the end of the season or whatnot you're going to go to the NIT I mean really just kind of a whole typical Tech type of mindset as crazy as that sounds and then you had games where it was like Oklahoma State hit 17 threes on Tech and you just 
that sort of seniority and leadership that tech has developed over the years, that's something that a lot of teams I feel like are lacking. And when things go wrong, that's when you really see it because a team like Kentucky this year, Kansas State this year, kind of the two examples I would use, you kind of get off the rails and it's like the losses just keep piling up. I mean, at the end of the day, like even though you lose by 50 to Baylor, you could still come back the next game and act like nothing happened. But you almost see with teams that are young and inexperienced, you see that kind of volatility every game. And you see, like, game to game, it's like things carry over. Confidence is shot. You can't kind of struggle to pick each other back up. And that's that's the biggest thing I've noticed with Tech. It's not so much that there's, like, a talent disparity, like, in terms of bringing in grad transfers that are suddenly, like, elite talents. But it does help to kind of make sure that each game is independent of the next and that you're always kind of staying on track. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that we're seeing with K-State this year is uh, exactly what you said, you know, the that much youth and uh, and the volatility and think how things can quickly pile up on you and and all of a sudden you just feel like the you've got the weight on the weight of the world on you. And there's almost a level of panic or you know almost not quite feeling defeated about the whole situation because you're just like, well, what do you do? Because yeah. you're not winning ball games and you have a team full of youth that doesn't know how to win ball games. So where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not just a matter of saying, hey, we should start bringing in some higher quality guys. To, but, you know, do you think Bruce could put more of an emphasis on, on getting experienced transfers? I think so. You know, it would be a good start. You know, the one incoming transfer that quickly became an outgoing transfer that was kind of disappointing was David Sloan from last year. I felt like he had some tools that could actually be very beneficial. And he came across to me again. I'm not in the locker room. I don't see what's going on at practice. But, you know, he came across to me in games as one of those people that had a level of that professionalism that we're talking about. And that's where the does Bruce make things too complicated? comes into play because it seems like you know going back to him having to be able to develop develop a team and have some four-year starters and that sort of thing or four-year players in order to have success does it take us four years to actually figure out how to run the offense because if it does things are a little too complicated but to be honest with you that also might be a very plausible reason as to why we like why incoming transfers even with some credentials seemed to struggle. You know, David Sloan came in with the credentials. Granted, he was playing, you know, junior college ball or whatever it was uh, his freshman, sophomore year. Coming in as a junior, I would have expected more out of David Sloan than what we got. And based on just seeing the difficulty that our teams have of running offenses, just flat out understanding where they're supposed to be in our offense, there's probably a a non-zero amount of credence that should be given to does Bruce just make things too complicated? Yeah, yeah. But that kind of so goes into the next thing I wanted to ask, talk about was player development a little. And obviously both these programs have had, you know, so many guys coming in and out, don't necessarily get a full picture here. But I, I feel like the Bruce Weber can't develop players narrative is a little bit overblown. I think he has mm-hmm. had some guys that really developed well, you know, Wando, Dean Wade. Some of those guys, it's a matter of, of getting them to stay seems to be more of a difficulty, wouldn't you say? Yeah. But like you said, maybe it's just adapting to the offense, but it seems like he does have the ability to, to develop some guys and, and 
bring out the potential eventually. And, you know, that's what I was going to say. If I were making a case for keeping Bruce on for another year, I would start with, well, he started from scratch with a talented freshman class and made it work once. Let's see if mm-hmm. he can do it again. Yep. Right. Yep. And and I, I think we've talked about this before, but just the, the one big difference is that starting from scratch with a talented uh, with a talented freshman class also had Wessa Wundu and DJ Johnson and Justin yep. Edwards on it when they those freshmen came in. So I would pump the brakes on that comparison a little bit. But sure. I think your point but, is but that'd think, be, that could go in Bruce's favor, right? Because you say, well, this doesn't have those guys, but it, they could still develop. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he can develop develop talent. I think a lot of his misses from a talent development and a recruiting perspective were on big guys. And mm-hmm. in the modern game of basketball, a lot of big guys are swings and misses, flat out. So if you put a lot of eggs in the big guy basket, like we did with Levi Stockard and James Love and Nigel Shad all about the same same time, I will say it's unlucky that none of the three managed to actually turn into anything. But it's not out of the realm of plausibility that you'd brought in three big guys and couldn't make any and couldn't really turn any turn any of them into in, into basketball players. I do think that we he has experience with developing players. The key is, is can they keep, can he keep them around for four years without them becoming a head case? Mm-hmm. And if he can do that, then I actually do believe that they're going to be really good by the time they're seniors. Yeah. And then Emory, so on the Texas Tech side, I mean, they've obviously had some success stories too. Jarrett Culver, the big one already, seems like a guy who got better every year. You know, uh, again, limited sample size because of just how many guys go in and out, but are you pretty happy with Chris Beard's player development, the guys who have stuck around? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I really can't think of anyone that hasn't developed, that's been able to stay on for more than a year or two under Beard. Now, obviously, some of that's due to the fact that generally guys that don't develop under Beard end up out the door after a year or two. But, I mean... You have Culver that obviously made a huge leap freshman a sophomore year. You had Moretti who looked basically unplayable his freshman year. And by junior year, well, certainly sophomore year and into junior year, he looked like one of the most efficient off-ball players in the Big 12. Kyler Edwards is another one. I mean, the fan base seems to be very kind of split on what they think of Kyler. But I'd certainly say even though the scoring might not be where it was freshman year, the all-around game has improved so much. He's arguably one of the most versatile players in the Big 12. And then you have some of the younger guys, Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller, the obvious ones. But guys like Clarence and Dylan Leach, Rosa Ogbo, you see that player development coming in. And even from the start of the year, you can tell kind of where they feel more comfortable or you see tangible growth, such as like in their shooting. And so that's something where, I mean, I would say of all the strengths that Chris Beard has, I would say probably the most underrated one is his player development because everyone mentions his like game day operation or how he brings in talent, but really, I mean, guys, that entire final four team was made possible by a, the leadership and B development because Jared Culver turning into an elite primary ball handler is absolutely what allowed tech to be able to have such an explosive offense down the stretch to kind of balance out the fact that early in the season, they struggled shooting and then guys like Moretti having one of the most efficient Big 12 seasons of all time and being a competent ball handler was very important. And then obviously you have guys that have bought in and become more 
all around defenders and kind of going into the system and improving over the course of their years. And I think like in college basketball, player development is something that's so important because almost always someone comes in as, as a freshman as an unfinished product. I mean, as good as Nigel Pack is, for instance, there's still room to grow, like in terms of just being a, bet, a more efficient ball handler, stuff oh, like totally. that. Yeah. And so that's something where, like, for instance, if Chris Beard had Nigel Pack, I would feel extremely confident that by year three, his game would be way more all around developed. I think that's something that we take for granted as Texas Tech fans because, like, Terrence Shannon, for instance, this year, came in shooting, I believe it was 28% last year from three-point range. And it's like it was a foregone conclusion that even if his percentage didn't improve by that much, he would take the steps to be able to become a better shooter to the point where he's not necessarily a liability from out there. And that's just kind of the deal. Like, I feel very confident in Tech's ability to build players from year to year, and that's something that really kind of has allowed Tech to develop a winning culture over the last four years. Yeah. You know, talking about player development, I'm actually going to say something that we might have people disagree with me here. And some people might say, well, that's why Bruce Weber's a shitty coach, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. I don't think it's any surprise that we have, that we have folks out there that wish we would quote unquote recruit better, that we would find a way to bring in five stars and this and that and the other. And I actually think that if you, that if we manage to find a way to land a five-star prospect or multiple five-star prospects, you would probably see a player that looks so underutilized and like, really, he was rated five stars and this and that and the other from that player, just because of the environment that that person's coming into. Isn't that exactly pretty much what happened to Bruce at Illinois? Like it was when he started recruiting some of the five-star guys that they started having some of their issues, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like, it's, it's just a thought, you know, that, you know, the, Let's pretend that uh, we had a recruiting class like, or had a team put together like Michael Beasley and Bill Walker and, and, and those guys back in the day. Bruce ain't doing nothing with that team, man. <laughs> that's, yeah. just, that, that's just not the way he coaches. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All right, well, I think that's about all I've got. I'm going to wrap this up. I guess kind of the last thing, maybe we can end on a positive note. You know, there's a bright side for Kansas State, and we've talked about this before too, but basketball, you can turn things around a lot quicker than football, right? Like, I mean, I know Emory, Texas Tech has seen some dark times, and they brought Chris Beard in, and he turned it around pretty quickly. For sure. I mean, Texas Tech in 2017 missed every tournament. Didn't make the NIT, didn't make the NCAA tournament. Went 6-12. and 12. That was Beard's first year. And they came around the second year, and, I mean, you look at Keenan Evans breaking his toe. If you take that away, there's a good shot. Tech could at least have shared the Big 12 title with Kansas and maybe even gone on to compete for a Final Four berth. And that's just something, like, in basketball, year to year, you're going to see a lot more changes. I mean, as fast as Kansas State fell from their grace as a Big 12 contender, you look at it, you're probably only two years, a good solid recruiting class and great development away from being kind of back on that stage. Even a team like Oklahoma this year, like, yeah, they had the years between Buddy Heald and now have been kind of filled with being on this two-way tournament bubble, but suddenly you've got a team that's contending for a Big 12 title 
or maybe not a title, but in normal circumstances, without Baylor being around, would be contending for a Big 12 title. And that's kind of the steps that you can see in basketball. It's very, not to say easy, but it's more likely to see a team go from outside of the NCAA tournament picture altogether to being a conference championship contender within a year or two. And so if I look at Kansas State's roster this year, I see a lot of players and guys that could eventually turn out to be really good players at the Big 12 level. And I mean, obviously, it'd be naive of me to suggest that that's what's going to end up happening because you never know. You don't know if Bruce Weber's going to be gone at the end of the year and you don't know if he is gone, who they're going to get to replace him and if those guys stay on. But I mean, you had Davion Bradford, Nigel Pack, guys like that. Those are guys that you can build around. And I mean, even for Kansas State, Dean Wade and Barry Brown back in the day were not necessarily as good as they were. They weren't as good by in their freshman years. They ended up being their senior year, even if they were playing significant roles, which is what I guess the best hope would be for a team that kind of is going through a rebuilding phase right now is that the guys that you're giving big minutes to now that at times look way out of their element by senior year or junior or senior year, they're competing at the highest level, not making those mistakes. And that's just something, I mean, college basketball is way too tough to predict who's going to make a huge rise or who's going to fall off the cliff because you don't know all the variables. But I can say, like, at the end of the day, there's a lot that you can look forward to going forward, even if you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. And Eric, I don't know about you, but, you know, one thing that helps me get through this season is I tell myself, if, you know, if they're Bruce or the next coach or whoever can turn it around with these guys in their juniors and senior years, you know, it'll be that much more rewarding if we're able to say, hey, we, we watched them struggle through our freshman season, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, one of the things that I will draw a comparison between like Barry and Dean and Cam compared to Nigel and Davion this year is those guys look like they get it. They obviously need to keep developing. They obviously need to keep getting better, but you can kind of see just in the way they play that they that there's this flash of they just understand the game of basketball as opposed to being athletic. And, you know, it's I'm so all over the map right now with what our coaching situation and everything like that is, is because I want it because I, I do believe that if Bruce is given the time to develop these guys, that they're going to turn into something. The problem is, is it's still probably two years down the road and whether or not the fan base has the, uh, has the palette to, to watch another potentially crappy season next year. I don't think they do right now is the problem. But as our other Luke managed to say on, a, on some of the comments on our blog, you know, just firing the guy is like, then what? You know, you, you got to have some sort of a plan that if you're going to pull that trigger. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will see these guys develop. I, I don't think they'll develop enough to make Saturday's game competitive. But Probably not. You know, that, maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Emery, uh, appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us and, and thanks for having yep. this discussion i think it was good thank you guys yeah. i really enjoyed it i mean i certainly i look kansas state i mean obviously i'd be lying if i said this year wasn't a miserable year for the team as a whole but i mean at the end of the day for one thing i guess it's nice for you guys to kind of be able to uh, reminisce and reflect on it's 
a team that was as good as that 2019 team where without Dean Wade's injury issues, I mean, for one thing, I'd argue if Dean Wade is healthy for that first game in Lubbock against Tech, you can make the argument that they win that, they win the conference outright. And then certainly if he's healthy come tournament time, I think you could look at that team as a final four contender. I mean, obviously this year's not gone well, but I definitely think there are some things to look forward to, and I enjoy being able to talk about it with you guys and then also talk about kind of how tech's gone through the last couple of years because it certainly is something that constantly evolves. I mean, if you had told me three years ago that tech would come off a national championship run, have a five-star recruit, and he only got 18 minutes a game in transfer, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. So things can change in a hurry in college basketball. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here again. And that, I think, Emery, that's a that's a good point on perspective. We have the ability to reminisce yeah. on uh, just a couple of years ago winning, a you know, having a, a very good basketball team, whereas you could be TCU and not have those years to reminisce about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Oh, well, Emery, uh, people can follow you, Eraser41 on Twitter. Anything else that you'd like to promote? Anything you've written on the blog lately or anything like that? I just want to say for any Texas Tech Hoops fans that may be interested or for some reason are watching or listening to this podcast, uh, my friend Ryan Mainville and I um, decided to start a podcast called the No Middle Madness Podcast, which covers Texas Tech basketball. You can find us on Twitter, Spotify, Google Play, and the Apple Podcasts. It's really anywhere you want anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll be releasing weekly episodes for the most part, covering and previewing tech basketball. And I mean, I've obviously really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to talk about tech basketball and kind of get give my perspective and also just sort of gauge the fan base and gauge kind of what's going on for the team. So if you guys are interested in watching or listening to that, do check it out. And other than that, I mean, Hopefully, Tech comes in and is able to get a win over Kansas State this weekend. If they don't, there are going to be some major issues. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's about it. Thank you, guys. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Awesome.